Good morning, church. My name is Roger, and uh, Merle here at, at Docs is I'm helping lead the team that's going to plant a church in Osaka, Japan. So in, in case you didn't know, over this last year, God just really has invited this church into what he's doing in Japan. And uh, as we just learned about the huge need in Japan, um, it's something that we felt like we wanted to be a part of that. And so we kind of started that process about a year ago. And just kind of update some of you guys that kind of have been part of that or have kind of heard of this. We were able to kind of apply for our visas, start like building a team, start raising funds. And then Japan has just been one of those countries that like hasn't opened up at all through this pandemic or, or recently. And so even though we applied for our visas, we're still waiting for Japan to open up so they like process our visas and we're able to go there. And so in the meanwhile, you guys can be praying for us, like pray that Japan would open up, that God would open up the country so that we can actually go there and get started because, man, we're like really excited. Even though it's been a year, like our excitement has not kind of like faded. Like we're, we're ready to go, just kind of like waiting for that to happen. And also be, pray, be praying for Japan, be praying for, for that country that God would just begin to prepare people as we like land there. Um, he just really like leads us to people who he's like preparing to believe. Um, and so... This morning, I have a question for all of you. Have you ever thought you were experiencing the best of something until someone showed you otherwise? And here's what, here's what I mean by that. Um, so growing up, I like loved Chinese food. Like anybody else out there, like love Chinese food, right? So it was like crab rangoons, like orange chicken, like General So's chicken. Who's General So and why do we eat his chicken is a question I always have. But it's like I love all of that, right? Every time it's like take up, we're like, what do we eat? We're like Chinese food, like loved it, right? And so when I was in college, we, we had these, like, summer trips that, that we do to these different places in the world, and one of them was China, so I was like, awesome, love Chinese food. Like, that wasn't, like, my reason to go, but I was like, love Chinese food, right? So it's, like, an added bonus. And so, like, literally, I'm like, I go to China, and I'm there, and I'm like, I can't really read the menu, but I was like, oh, dude, I'll just, like, take the orange chicken, like, an order of crab rangoons. He's like, what is that? Like, <laughs> like, that's not Chinese food. I was like, no, no, it is. Like, you don't get it. Like, this is a place called Taste of China that I can always eat at. And they got it, and they got it there. So I'm sure you got it here. Like, it might be like a, ho- like a house thing. Like, you might have to ask it. Like, that's like not Chinese food. And I was like, are you serious? And I was like, I'm like stuck here for two months. Like, what am I going to eat? I-, I don't know what Chinese food is, you know? And he's like, no, I'm telling you, like, real Chinese food is like way better. It's like, it's actually like the good stuff. And I was like, I don't know, man. Like, have you ever had crab rangoons? Because they're like really good, you know? And so like I end up trying Chinese food and I'm like, wow, this is actually like way better. Like I still eat all that. Like that's still, that's still good. But if you ever have like real Chinese food, I promise you, it's like way better. And one of the things about my personality, if you know me or if you don't, is that if I ever like l- like something or I get excited about something, I want like everyone to do this. Like even if I've done it once, I'm like, y'all, everyone needs to do this. I promise. Like it's so great. Right? And like, I was like that with Chinese food. Like, I came back and I was like, yo, like, we have to go eat real Chinese food. Like, no, it's like way better. Right? And I still do that. So I was like literally friends in here that I've like been like, hey, have you ever had authentic Chinese food? Like, we should go. Because like, I don't want people to miss out on something that's so good that I didn't know about. And it's funny, but today's text, like, that's kind of what Paul is doing. And he's doing it with something much more valuable than just like Chinese food. But he's doing it with this idea about, about life and death. Right? Kind of pretty weighty subjects. But, but he gives this call, his life has been completely transformed by Jesus Christ. And there was a life he lived before that didn't involve that, and now there's a life that was ruled by the love of Jesus. And he lives a life since then in which he wants everyone to know this. Like, he doesn't want anyone to miss out. And, and that's, what he's, that's what he's pleading for in our text today. He's saying, guys, there's, whatever you live for in your life, is it for Christ? 
Because if it isn't, I, I, like, I don't want you to miss out on this. Like, this is the best thing that you could ever have. Like, don't miss it, right? And he's like, and, and no, death is scary, but I promise you, like, if you actually understand this, you could actually view death as gain. And I didn't always think of life that way, but now I do. And, like, I don't want you to miss out. And so as we're reading this, like, I, I want you to hear that kind of pastoral heart that he has. He's saying, guys, there's something so good that, I, that, I, that I've experienced, and I don't want you to miss out. And, and here's what it is. Right? And so we'll look at really two things in this text. We'll look at a, a life worth living and a death worth dying. And so if you have your Bibles, if you have those awesome like, little journals that we have, we'll be in Philippians chapter 1, and we'll start at verse 18, that like, second part of it, like B or C. I don't, I don't know what technically it's called. Uh, but whatever that, that page break kind of happens. And so we'll start at 18, and we'll go all the way to the end of chapter 1 to verse 30. And here's what it says. Yes, and I will rejoice... For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. That is God's word. And for you guys, when, when you read stuff like this, do you ever, like, feel that, like, gap or, like, that difference between, like, lives like this and, like, yours? Do you ever feel that? Like, like man, I feel like we're just, like, different types of humans. Um, and not just him. Like, I even think about, like, people in history. Right? Like, one thing that I, I love doing is, like, I love reading, like, missionary biographies. Like, I love looking back and just looking into the lives of, like, brothers and sisters in the faith. And some of my favorites are, like, probably my, my, my favorite by far is, like, Hudson Taylor. So Hudson Taylor, he was a missionary to, to China. And I love just, like, getting a peek into his life and seeing how he valued Christ and how that changed the way he lived. Um, one story, I'm just going to paraphrase here, but he's, like, in the northeast part of China, and it's, like, snowing. He's, like, laying in his bed, and there's, like, holes all over his roof, and there's just, like, snow coming in, you know? And he's, like, paraphrasing here, he's, like, this is pretty miserable, right? <laughs> like, I would much rather just even have a roof if that was possible, right? But he's, like, if, if I were to leave here and not endure the suffering, there's millions upon millions that don't know Jesus. And how dumb of a trade-off would it be to sleep in a warm bed um, if people don't know Jesus? Another person I really admire is, is Gladys Aylward, and um, she was also a missionary to China, and 
uh, she started this orphanage pretty much like during the war where she's like this single woman who's in China and has like over 100 orphans that she's like leading through the mountains and keeping them alive and just loving and serving them. And God would just provide her in like these incredible ways. Um, another one is, this is like a more personal one, but like I have a, a friend in, in India named, named Johnny. And, and when I went to India and I'm like kind of getting to know him and he's like part of this like church network group in, in Chennai, India, uh, I just kept always hearing people talk about his dad. And his dad has actually, had actually recently passed away. And his dad essentially started this, like, network of churches in India. Over, like, 100 in churches, essentially, were, like, started by his dad. And as I'm hearing that, right, like, I, I, I'm in the line of ministry where I'm, like, going to places to start churches. And I'm, like, I need to find out what your dad did. Because, like, I need that, like, secret sauce. Like, whatever he did, just, like, tell me what is it, right? Like, what did your dad do? He was, like, he's, like, a really good strategist. Like, he was brilliant. He's like, look, like, my dad wasn't dumb, but he also, like, wasn't in, like, a worldly way, this, like, genius, brilliant guy. And, like, he, I was like, well, what was your dad's strategy? He was like, he just, like, really loved Jesus and loved people, and that changed, like, this entire community and area. And I was like, no, 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 like, but what did he, what did he do? <laughs> like, I need you to tell me his plan. He was like, no, like, I'm serious. Like, and as I talked to people in India, I was like, yeah, so, like, what did he do? Like, how did he present the gospel to you? Like, what were the steps that he led you through? And the recurring thing that I kept hearing in his life was, like, when I looked at Johnny's dad's life, I saw someone who truly believed that Jesus was real, and that there was nothing greater in the world than that, than believing in him, and that changed me. And if you look at the lives of all these people, Hudson Taylor, Gladys Aylward, you might have your own people that you, like, really look up to. If you, like, look into their lives, you go, like, under the hood and see those stories are actually really marked, not by their brilliance or, or their strategies or, or how charismatic they were. Actually, they're marked by that at one point in their life, they were like completely captivated by the love of Jesus, and that changed everything for them. And that's what Paul is getting at here, right? When he says to live is Christ, to die is gain, he's saying, at one point I didn't believe this, and once I did, it changed everything about the way I live my life. See, for him, Jesus wasn't just this like add-on, right? Like, it wasn't just like a part of his life, and even, it even wasn't just like one of the most important things in his life, like when Paul says to live is Christ, he means like that is life. Living for Christ is literally the only way to truly live life. Um, and see, for me, I actually like learned this the hard way when I first became a Christian. So I, I first became a Christian with this like little Bible study that a friend of mine's led. And he used to like love having these um, kind of activities. Like I was in high school. It's like you got to keep high school kids like entertained to like be interested in Jesus. And I was like one of those guys like, what's the activity? You know, I like looked forward to that. And like I got there, he's like, all right, take a piece of paper. And I was like, Awesome. And he's like, I want you to write down the five most important things in your life. And I was like really new to Christianity, but I knew that number one is supposed to be Jesus, right? I was like, got it, you know? And I was like so proud. I was like, oh, I'm so excited for this activity because like I know it's so little, but I know that much. So he's like, all right, write those down, guys. And he's like, look, listen, like if Jesus isn't like up there, like he's like, it's all right. Like that's what we're here for, you know? Um, and so I'm like, Okay. But I was like, I know this is the right answer, so I'm going to put it. You know, so I'm like, number one, Jesus. And I don't even remember what I put for the rest. Something like honorable, I think I put, just in case I was asked, like, what was number two, just in case. And so, like, it ends, and he's like, all right, like, who, who here, like, just being honest, like, Jesus wasn't, number, wasn't in that top five, and, that, and that's okay. And people are like, yeah, man, like, I'm trying, you know, just trying to figure out this whole, like, Jesus thing. And I'm like, yeah. You know, like, anybody here, like, he's, like, top three. Like, you feel like, man, like, he's, like, you're really growing and you're understanding and love Jesus. People are like, yeah, like, he's definitely not at the top. But he's like, man, I'm, like, learning. I'm growing, you know. 
He's like, anybody like, man, is Jesus like the number one like thing in your life? And I was like, me. And I'm like looking around and I was like, oh no, like no one else raised their hand because everyone else was honest, right? But I'm like, me, you know, he was like, oh, that's, man, yeah. He's like, well, he's like, all of that is wrong. And I was like, wait, what? He's like, you see, Jesus isn't supposed to be just like one of the things in your life that you do. Jesus is supposed to be this paper in which you build your life upon. And I was like, oh, it was a setup. I see. It was, a, it was totally a setup. And it's funny, you know, like I literally like heard this. I think I was like 12 or 13 years old. And like that stuck with me. Like that image of like, oh, he's not like just one of these things that I try to fit into my life, but he's actually my life in which everything else like I build upon. And man, a life that's like lived like that, like costs something, right? Like it's hard. Like to, to make Jesus the foundation of your life means like everything else has to like bow its knee to Jesus, and if we look at, like, our time, our talents, and our treasure, like, that's going to honestly tell us, like, is Jesus the foundation of your life? Is to live as Christ or is it not? And, and, and do you guys ever, like, feel that, like, that, that tension of your life? Like, man, like, I, I want that. Like, I want to desire that. Or, like, I proclaim that. But when it comes to, like, our time, our money, like, our schedules, like, stepping out of comfort, it, it feels like, but is it really to live as Christ? Like, is that actually the best thing, like, in my life? And I believe, like, a life that's gripped by the love of Christ is also not, not one that just, like, remains stagnant, but one that truly believes that, believes that to live is Christ is one that, like, moves out into the love of others. And, and that's what Paul here, he, he calls it fruitful labor. So if, if you have your Bibles, let's go back into the text. Go down to, to verse 22. And here's what Paul says about fruitful labor. He said, if I'm to live in the flesh, meaning if I'm to stay alive, if I'm still to live in this current life, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. He's talking about whether it's continuing to live or whether it's dying. He says, I am hard-pressed between the two. Like, I'm torn. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. See, very plainly, Paul says that the only reason I would stay in this life, the only reason that compels me to stay is for the joy and faith of others. Right? He's inherently saying, like, actually, the only reason to live a life, if you believe in Jesus, is to actually help others know and believe in Jesus. It's about growing the faith and joy of others in Jesus. He's saying that's, that is what life is meant to be. It's like literally in our created purpose, right? So like plainly put, like if you live a life that's for the joy and faith of others, your joy is going to be full. Like that's a fact. It's not going to be easy. You might have to rework what joy means for you. But true joy actually is only found when we live life for the joy and faith of others. Like do you ever feel that, that tension again of like, you just want things for you. Like, you just want your things. You want your space. You want your money. Like, you just want that. And then when you keep that, isn't it, like, disappointing? It's like you thought, like, this would be so awesome, and you're like, it's not. Like, a weird way I feel that. Sometimes I'm so tired, and I'm like, awesome, Saturday. I'm just, like, going to watch football. I'm just, like, do nothing. Like, that's so restful. And I'm, like, looking forward to that. And then I do it, and I'm like, that wasn't restful. <laughs> like, I just, like, that, that wasn't restful for my soul, for my body, for anything. And Paul is saying that if you actually 
commit to, if you actually sacrifice to live a life for the joy and faith of others, you, you, you actually will feel joy. Like, it's true. He's saying, look, I, I heard that, I believed it, and I'm living it, and I can tell you guys it's true. And, and if we don't live a life for the joy and faith of others, your joy isn't going to be full because we were created in that way. It's literally in our created purpose that that's how we receive the fullness of joy. Uh, Malamo, was a, she was a missionary to Swaziland. You can put her picture up. I was like reading about it the other day, and then I saw a picture of her, and I was like, she doesn't mess around. And when I read her quote, I was like, yeah, this, this matches. So here, here's what Malamo says about living a life of like fruitful labor, a life that matters. Here's what she says. She said, what are we here for? I don't know why I'm screaming it. I feel like she would like godly rebuke me and tell me this, but she's like, what are we here for? To have a good time as Christians or to save sinners? She's like really plainly, she's like, look, this is what it's about. Like, what, what, do you, what do you put here for in this life? To just, like, mess around, have fun, and, like, not make your life count? Or, or, or have you been given this life in Christ to save other sinners? Because the truth is, like, in all of our lives, if you are a Christian, at some point, someone did that for you. Whether it was your parents, whether it was a sibling, whether it was a friend, whether it was a pastor, like, someone said, my life here is to help others know Jesus. And you were given that. And I love this imagery when I think about the gospel moving out. But when I think about the kingdom of God growing, I, lo- I love this imagery of like this torch that just keeps getting passed down from one to another. And that's what it's meant to be. Someone at one point took the torch and passed it to you and says, here's the greatest gift you could ever receive. Please share that with someone else. And, w- and that's what we're meant to do because at one point someone stepped out. And f- it- 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 as scary as it was, someone stepped out and said, hey, man, like, I want to tell you about what I believe. And I'm so glad that they did that because now I know Jesus. And that compelled me and I was like, I don't want anyone to live the type of life that I lived before. People need to know this. And I carry this torch and I want to give it to someone else and say, hey, do that to someone else also. And that's the reason, like, we're going to Osaka, Japan. Like, it's not because it's like, oh, Japan is, like, cool. It's like added bonus if it is. But, like, the reason we're going is because for so long, as we're, like, figuring out what we would do next, there was this, like, narrative about Japan that really gripped us. And that narrative was, oh, it's really expensive. Like, oh, for you guys to like raise money to start a church there, like, oh, that's like not worth it. Just go somewhere cheaper. Or like, oh, it's so hard. Like, you guys need to go somewhere that's like much easier where like people are just like ready. Like, you don't have to worry about any of that. And I like hate that narrative. And like, I'm willing to say I hate that on stage, but I do. Because I think it's actually an ungodly, unbiblical narrative. Because can you imagine that? Like, if you were lost and someone was like, oh, it would cost so much money to, to, get, to get the gospel to you. Like, I, I don't, we, we're not going to do that. Or like, oh, it'd actually be really hard. It would take some, like, real relationship building to get the gospel to you. Like, can you imagine that if someone had that mindset about you if you didn't know Jesus? And the idea to have that over 125 million people, it breaks my heart. And that gripped us. That gripped us to say, like, I, I was once that person. But, but actually, even worse, like, in a country of 125 million people, most of them are going to live and die, and they'll never hear the gospel. They'll never go to church because there's so few to attend. They'll never even meet a Christian. And we just, like, weren't okay with that. And we felt God's invitation to say, like, are, are you willing to come with me? Are you willing to be part of this with me? You know? And so many of us have said, yeah. And some of us are saying, yeah, by going. Some of us are saying, yeah, by financially supporting. Some of us are saying, yeah, by praying. Because I truly believe, like, as hard as it's going to be, and I don't doubt that it is, because life just is, right, that it's going to be worth it. Like, I want to get to the end of my life and say, like, I, I did everything I could. 
I did everything I could. I, got, I didn't hold back money. I didn't hold back my time. I didn't hold back things. Like, I, I did whatever I could to help people know Jesus because someone did that for me. And now listen, like, I'm not saying that to, like, obey God and to, like, live this life of, like, fruitful labor. Like, you have to move to Japan. Like, that's not the message here. So, like, everyone can take a deep breath. Like, you're not walking away here like, my life is ruined. I got to move to Japan or I'm disobeying God. That's, like, not the message here. But, but, but the message here is that this call to live for fruitful labor is, like, it's for all of us. And it's actually a privilege. It's a blessing. Like, if you hear it as this, like, burden, it's not. I promise. It's really not. And it's for all of us. Whether you're a kid, you're a teenager, you're a mom, you're a dad, you're a businessman, you're, you're a daycare worker, you're, whatever, whatever you do, it's for all, every single one of us that God is saying, like, I want you to be a part of that. I want you to join this with me. That's what Jesus did with the disciples, right? He saw them and he's like, oh, you think you're living life now? Oh, you don't know. He's like, come. He says, follow me. Come to know me. Come to love me. And I'm going to make you a fisher of men. I'm actually going to give you a much greater purpose in your life. One really cool thing is that, do you know that Christianity first spread? And it wasn't through the apostles. So when you see when, when persecution happens in Acts, they actually all stay. They're actually the ones that are able to stay. But the people that have to leave are the people whose names we'll never know. It's all these people that went out and they began to just share their lives and their love for Jesus with others. And that's how the gospel first leaves, first grows. By regular people who worked regular jobs, but who were captivated by Jesus and wanted to make their life count. Like Lydia, as they're like leaving because of persecution, they're just loving people and the world begins to be changed. And so, like, how, do, how, do, how can we begin to seek this out? Like every single one of us. Like how do we actually live a life that's, that's for Christ completely, and that matters, and that has an effect on people. And, and I thought of three questions that we can just, like, pray and ask God to give us wisdom in. And the first question is, God, how have you made me to increase the joy and faith of others? Because here's the truth. All of us are different. And if I try to, like, love Jesus and, like, minister to people the way you do, I'm probably going to be really bad at it. Right? And if you try to do it the way I do it, you probably won't be great at it either. Like, because God has like, uniquely made each one of us. And that's like not an accident. Like God did that on purpose. And so God made you the way you are, with your interests, with your personality, in the places that you're in. And God wants to actually use that so that he can reach out to people in your life. So just ask God, how have you made me to increase the joy and faith of others? The second one is, God, who are the people you have in my life right now that you're inviting me to bring closer to you. And like they're, I believe actually they're like already there. But we, we usually are just like not aware. We're like not looking around. We're not listening to the Holy Spirit in us. And just ask God, God, who are the people in my life right now that you're inviting me to increase their joy and faith in you? Like who are the people like you're in a carpool line with every day? Like who are the people that they're always there when you go and pick up your kids? Like who are the people there that work at that store, that coffee shop that you see every single day? Like, who are the people who are your neighbors? Like, start asking God, God, help me see. Like, help me see who are these people around me that you're inviting me. You put them there for a reason. Like, who are they? The third thing is, God, how can I share the gospel with them in word and deed? Ask God to give you, to help you, like, know what to say. Ask God, God, help me listen. As this person talks, help me understand them. God, help me know what questions to ask. 
Like, that's what I always get nervous about. I'm like, I don't have no idea what to ask. You know, I'm like, God, just let me know what are the good questions to ask. And God, help me know what to say. And use whatever I say, how, how broken and how confusing it may be. Like, use that. Like, literally, when I became a Christian, if, like, after, you'd have been like, retell me the entire gospel. And I've been like, I don't know. <laughs> but I just know that, like, I felt my brokenness. And what you told me, like, I want that life. You know? Because if, if God's the one who saves, like, I pray that could remove the fear out of us that it's, like, on us to say the perfect things, to ask the perfect things. Just ask God to guide us. To live a life, you know, worthy of the gospel is the third thing that, that Paul really points at here, this idea of, like, not just our words, but our life ought to be a proclamation of what we believe. So if we go back into the text, go to verse 27. And Paul says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And so, like, what does that mean, to live a life, like, worthy of the gospel? And it's getting at this idea of to, to ascribe worth to something means to live in a way that shows that what you believe is supreme. Right, that people will look at your life and be like, oh, like, yeah, what you say, I see how it like changes things about you. So it's not just the things that you say, but it's actually the, the type of life that you live. Because if you, if you talk, if you think, if you spend, if you do, if your life looks like everyone else who isn't in Christ, like, honestly, think about that. Like, why would in the world would they want to know more about Jesus? Like, why would they be drawn into your life? You're like, me and you are the same. We think the same, we talk the same, we act the same. Like, what's compelling about what you have that I would want? Nothing. If, we, if we're living the same, honestly, like nothing, right? But Paul's saying, like, that, that's not the type of life we are to live. He says, like, live in a way that shows that what you believe is supreme, that it's, it is actually the most important things in your life. It is actually the foundation on which you build everything else upon. You know, and, and he tells him, I love what he says about this. He says, if I come to you, I really hope I can. So if I come to you, I want to see how you're, like, living this out. I want to see how Jesus is, like, changing your life and is changing the people around you. Like, I want to go see that. He says, but actually, even if I don't come, like, if I'm not able to come to you, I'm really excited to hear about how you're living this out and how it's changing the people around you. Like, I'm really excited to one day just get a letter and to read about how the community in Philippi, how the neighbors around you, how lives are being changed in Philippi because of the way you're living your life. Like, I'm really excited. Like, I want to be able to hear that. Uh, Have you ever been around someone who like, embodies what they believe, like, so strongly. Like, you're like, yeah, like, you're not, you're not faking this. Like, you, you, you don't just, like, walk the walk, but you, like, talk the talk. The first person that came to me as I was, like, uh, as I was reading this verse was uh, one of my friends, Mia, in China. So we, we had done ministry before in China, and she's, like, one of the golliest people you ever meet. And I remember one time we had been, like, in campus all day, and I was just tired. Like, you ever feel that where you're like, I don't want to, like, see anybody. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to listen to. You're just like, I'm, I'm, I'm hitting my switch, and I'm putting it to off right now, right? And so that's me. I like get in this taxi, and I'm like, all right, Lord, I did my thing. Like, you know, it's, I'm off now, you know, like clicking that switch. Well, Mia is one of those people that doesn't have an off switch. Like, it just it got broken to on when Jesus, like, changed her life. And so we're, like, getting in this taxi, and I'm, like, ready to put the AirPods on, like, ready to zone out and just listen to music. And she, like, just starts talking to this taxi driver, and I'm like, Jenny, that was like, oh, Okay, here we go. <laughs> you know, and she's just, like, asking him questions. She's like, hey, like, what's your name? Like, how are you doing? You know, she's like, man, like, how's, how's it like being a taxi driver? It feels like it'd be, like, a hard thing to do. And, 
you know, she's like, oh, like, do you have, you have family? It's like, man, how is that? Like, I'm sure you don't really get a, a time with them. She's just, like, asking these questions, just, like, getting to know him as, like, a human being. Like, I think sometimes we forget, like, people who, like, work these jobs, are like, they're, like, real people. Like, the bus driver's, like, a real person with a real life, you know? And she's, like, acknowledging his humanness, literally, right? Just saying, like, you're a person, and I want to acknowledge your humanness and talk to you. And so she's asking him these things, and I'll never forget. He stops, and he's like, hey, like, no one's ever asked me these things. And I'm like, you've been a taxi driver for who knows how long, and no one's just asked you about your, your life? He's like, no one's asked me this. Like, is this because you're like, there's something you believe in your life that like leads you to like love people like this? And I'm just sitting there like, oh my gosh. Like, this is literally happening in front of my eyes, right? And she's like, yeah, actually, like, I didn't always believe this, but now I believe in Jesus. Like, have you ever heard of him? He's like, no. Like, who is that, you know? She proceeds to just share the gospel with him, and he's just like, Anyways, he just stands in amazement and, 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 and remember him saying, like, I don't know if this is true, but you believe it to be true, and I see that. And I'm really interested in that. And like, we leave him a Bible. But that's what, that's, the, that's what it means to live a life that proclaims that what you believe is actually true. And, and that type of life, a life worth living, can also look ahead to a, a death worth dying. And let's go back into the text, and let's go to verse 20. Here's what Paul says about a death worth dying. He says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And can we just acknowledge, like, that's wild, right? For someone to be like, death is gain, it's like, not normal, like, at least not to me. Like, I didn't, like, wake up after, like, I didn't become a Christian and, like, I wake up the next morning and be like, you know what sounds awesome right now? Dying. Like, that sounds sweet. Like, that's at least not what happened to me. And I don't, I don't think it did probably for most of us or all of us. Like, we have to understand why it would be gain. It's not just a switch that happens like, oh, yeah, I'll just start loving death out of nowhere. Like, we have to actually understand why, why would it be gain? Because I think if we're honest, like, we usually don't see death as gain because, like, we love a lot of what we have and experience here. And that's not necessarily bad. Like, we shouldn't, like, hate our lives here, but I think there's, like, a perspective change that Paul is talking about here. Because we, we feel like that what we have here is, like, so good. Like, this is what's supreme. Like, what I have right now, what, what I'm experiencing, like, this is the best thing that I could have. So we don't want to let it go. So for us, when we, when we believe that, when we believe that what we have here is, is so good and it's the best thing, then death is not more of Christ, but it, rather death is less of here. Like, I think that's the tension we feel in death, right? It's not more of Christ. It's actually just like less of here. And when we don't understand what we receive in death, then it can only be natural that we see it as loss and not gain. And, and, but the problem when we live like that is that in this life, like, we feel the disappointment and the pain of loving and valuing this life as supreme. Like, we feel that, right? Like, can you think of moments when life just, like, really hurts and it's really hard? Like, when we feel the imperfection of this life. Like, when sickness strikes to you or, or someone you love. Like, when relationships are, are broken or lost. Like, when you read about stuff, like, the darkness of the world, like, sex trafficking, people taking advantage of, discrimination. Like, I don't know if you got this on your phone, but, like, the last few days, like, that Amber Alert, like, you, like, get that, and you're like, man, like, that sucks. 
like that's not right. Like we feel that. Like if we love this life, it's disappointing. It's actually it, it hurts. You ever feel like even in I even think about like you ever feel like the weight of like your own imperfections and your flaws and like sometimes like the hopelessness of like dude I'm like trying to change but this is so hard like this life is really hard and we sometimes we just want to be freed from here like we we, we want to feel like there's got to be something better um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer he was a, he was a pastor in, in Germany and um, initially as like World War II was starting he like leaves Germany, and he, he goes to New York, and he's like in New York City, he's like in Harlem, just like worshiping Jesus with people there, and he begins to feel this conviction of, I think I need to go back to Germany and suffer with my brothers and sisters, and he knew that like he's safe there, like he, he's safe, he's loving Jesus, he's loving people there, but he begins to feel this conviction of, I think I need to go back, and he knew that if I go back, that's going to be a really hard life, like my life won't be comfortable like, I don't know where I'm going to live. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I feel like I need to go back. And so he goes back, and he starts running these, like, underground seminaries in, in Germany. He's, like, loving people. He's, like, sharing the gospel with people. And eventually he gets captured, and he's set to be executed. And, and we, have, we have a letter, like a, a journal from another inmate that was in there with them, and, and here's, what it, here's what it says. It said, Bonhoeffer always seemed to me to spread an atmosphere of happiness and joy over the least incident and profound gratitude for the mere fact that he was alive. He was one of the very few persons I have ever met for whom God was real and always near. On Sunday, April 8th, 1945, Pastor Bonhoeffer conducted a little service of worship and spoke to us in a way that went to the heart of all of us. He found just the right words to express the spirit of our imprisonment, the thoughts and the resolution it had brought us. He had hardly ended his last prayer when the door opened and two civilians entered. They said, Prisoner Bonhoeffer, come with us. That had only one meaning for all prisoners, the gallows. We said goodbye to him. He took me aside and he said to me, this is the end, but for me, it is the beginning of life. The next day he was hanged in Flossenburg. This is the end, but for me, it's the beginning of life. See, to, to die is the beginning of life. To die is gain because we will be undeterred from loving and experiencing God. That's the reason life really begins there. That's the reason death can actually be gained. Right? In 1 Corinthians, Corinthians 13, Paul says this. He says, like, right now we, we, we experience God, but it's like through this, like, fog. Like, you, you see it and then you don't, and it's, like, really hard he says, but well, one day that fog is going to be gone and you'll just see him clearly and you'll be able to just give him everything and you'll be able to receive everything for him because it'll be clear on that day. Do you, ever, do you ever think about what that moment will be like the day that you're united with Jesus? And if you're not a Christian in here, just like think about this for me, with me for a bit, but like it, it, can you imagine if, if God created you and he created you with the purpose to know him and to experience him and to be loved by him and if that's true can you imagine what that would feel like to feel like the, the fulfillment of that and if you are a christian like can you imagine you believe in that what that's going to be like to like finally be there do you guys remember the song i can only imagine it's like this really like older christian song um if you don't it's like this this older song i don't even know how old it is 
but it just talks about like the day that uh, Jesus will finally meet us and we'll finally meet him. And, and here's kind of what that song says. It says, I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes would see when your face is before me. I can only imagine. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or, or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to, to speak at all? And I, I can remember the moment I first heard this song. Uh, I, I had just become a Christian, and like first time I ever went to like a camp. And as I'm at this camp, we could pull a picture up. It's like me and my boys right there. And so I'm like, I'm at this camp. And it, this is that age where you're like tough. You're like throwing up gang signs. You don't even know what you're doing. You're like just like flexing. And, and like the worst thing you could ever do in, in this like stage of life is like cry, right? Like that, that's like the unforgivable sin at this age in life. And I like literally remember standing in the back and this song starts playing and just remember like looking to my left and right and my boy's just like weeping, like ugly crying. And like people are like literally just like falling on their knees and just like, oh my gosh. And, and I think in that moment, we like, tasted, even if it was like a really tiny taste, and I think in that moment, those, that song gave us this like tiny taste of a longing, like, a un, like this infinite longing that we had that one day can be fulfilled. Like I, I feel like I tasted this like tiny part of that, and it was, it was unlike anything else. And here's the beauty of the gospel, is that in Jesus, the worst thing that can happen to you becomes the best thing that could ever happen to you. Let me say that again. The beauty of the gospel, you're like, why is this Jesus thing worth it? Why should, why should my life be Christ? Because in Jesus, the worst thing that could ever happen to you becomes the best thing that could ever happen to you. But before that moment comes, and it will, it really will, before that moment comes, we, we still have to live, we still have a life to live, right? Like we leave here, we get in our cars, or our bikes, or walk, and we still have a life to live, and, and the hard truth is that in that life, it, it will involve suffering still. Before that day comes, like, there will be suffering still. And here's what Paul says about suffering. If you go to verse 29, he says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Like, that verse is also just crazy, right? Like, he's saying, like, hey, here's, it's been granted to you. It's this idea of this, like, hey, here's this gift. Here's this privilege that you have. He says, you have the privilege to believe in Jesus. And we're all like, yeah, like, that's awesome, right? Like, that's incredible. He says, actually, there's another gift you have for you. Like, there's another privilege you have. And he's like, you get to suffer for him. You're like, what? Like, wait, those don't, I think, I think you missaid that. Like, you don't get to suffer. He's like, no, no, you get to suffer for him. That's like the second gift that you get. And we read that, and it's like, in what world is suffering a gift? In what world will someone be like, hey, here's something for you. It's suffering. Like, that, that doesn't make any sense, right? Like, how could that be? And, and at its core, suffering happens when, when we lose something or someone we love, when something is, like, lost and it's broken. And, and, and in that pain of our suffering, we're given an opportunity. We're, we're really forced to seek out Comfort, love, healing. And in Jesus, we're given an opportunity 
in our suffering to love and to be loved by him. In our suffering, we're given this opportunity to like cling to Jesus in a special way. And see, I think suffering is meant to remind us that we're not home. Like it's supposed to be this like tangible reminder that when we suffer, it's like, yeah, we're not there yet. This isn't everything that I live for in my life. And isn't it weird that like in the hardest times of our life, sometimes we feel the closest to Jesus. You ever felt that? Like, you ever, like, if you think back to some of, like, the hardest times in your life, a lot of times, like, we also feel really close to Jesus. And sometimes I'm like, do I just want to ask for more hard times? I'm like, I don't think so. <laughs> but also, it was like, that was really special. Like, I, I remember, I just, like, felt like we were there. Like, I felt like I really knew him and experienced him. Do you ever wonder why that is? Like, why is it that in, in suffering, we, like, experience Jesus in, like, a really unique way? And I think it's because if you look at Jesus' life, most of his life was marked by suffering. And so I think when we suffer, we, we're actually like joining him in what he, what he experienced the most. Timothy Keller would say, Jesus didn't suffer so you wouldn't have to suffer. He said Jesus suffered so that when we suffer, we become more like him. He says we, we experience him in a way that we can't in anything else. We, we taste of this, like, union with Jesus that I actually don't think can be found anywhere else. And, and the way I picture it, don't think too deeply into this imagery. Like, I don't know what everything means, but I, as I was thinking about, like, union with Christ and, and suffering, and I, I thought of this, like, war going on, and I thought of those, like, you know, those trenches that are, like, drug up in, like, war, and I thought of, like, me, like, jumping into this trench and just, like, being there and, like, being, like, this is the worst thing it could ever be. And as, like, I look to my right, I, like, see Jesus there. And he's like, hey, like, I'm here. Like, this is where you can find me. Like, I'm here with you. I'm in this trench with you. I'm in the suffering with you. Like, it's okay. Because if, if you've ever lost someone you love, like, Jesus has felt that. Like, if you've ever been hurt or hurt now by, by family, like, Jesus felt that. If you ever just feel tired about the brokenness of this world, like Jesus has felt that. If you ever felt abandoned or left behind by, by friends, like Jesus has also felt that. I believe we experience a unity in our suffering that can't be found in any other place. But we have a choice, right? We can just like try to cover up that suffering with things or emo- like just ignore it. We can try to avoid it. Or we can go into it and just go into that trench and be with Jesus in there. Because he's like, I'm here. I'm in this suffering. Um, uh, this past week in our connection group, uh, Alex Compton, a guy in our connection group, shared this story that I felt like really epitomized like, this message. And he talked about John and Stacy Eldridge. So J- John Eldridge, they're, they're both, I think, writers. And he, he's written a handful of books. I think his most famous one is Wild, Wild at Heart. And he said that when he noticed that when him and Stacy first got married, every time she got a book, she would read the end of the book first. And eventually it bothered him so much, he was like, why are you doing that? <laughs> like, why would you read the end of the book first? And she said, well, because no matter how good the story is, if the ending is bad, it's an absolute waste of time. It's not worth going through it. She said, conversely, though, no matter how tragic or sad the story is, if the ending is bad, it's, it's an absolute, I'm sorry, if the ending is bad, 
Um, sorry, let me start over again. Conversely, she said, no matter how tragic or sad the story is, if the ending is good, she said it's redemptive. It's actually, it's worth going through it because it's good at the end. And he said, well, doesn't that take out all the drama of it? Like, what's the point of it? She said, no, it, it doesn't take out the drama. It only takes out the fear, and it leaves you free to enjoy the drama because you know it's going to be okay. If, if Jesus isn't your life, like, life is terrifying. It's, it's paralyzing. But if Jesus is your life, then you are free to enjoy the drama because you know at the end it's going to be okay. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that your life, death, and resurrection takes the thing that could be the worst thing in our life and makes it the best. And I pray, God, that none of us would leave here feeling burdened or I pray that we will all leave here and feel excited to live a life that matters, that we will all leave here without fear, but excited to experience you in a really unique way.